0: A little rudder far from the rocks is a lot better than a lot of rudder close to the rocks. Hey, it's Che. That's a quotation from L. David Marquette. And this is Roleplay Rescue. Che's gonna bring me back Give me a plus one to attack
1: want to come back to the dice Whoa, oh, oh, oh. I think I need some good advice I need a roleplay rescue oh yeah I need a roleplay rescue oh yeah. oh
0: yeah hello rescuers and welcome to another episode of roleplay rescue the podcast about recovering our lost roleplaying hobby Today's episode is a quick overview from an approach to GM preparation that I call Tiny Prep. It was inspired by the work of B.J. Fogg, the director of Stanford Behavioral Lab, and discussed at length in his highly recommended book, Tiny Habits. I'll stick a link in the show notes. Tiny Prep is a simple idea of doing your GM game preparations in very small increments daily, or, in my case, six days a week. Being an orthodox Christian, I always take Sundays off as a day of rest and play stuff that isn't my games that I run for other people, such as doing some solo play. I utilize the science of human behavior revealed by BJ Fogg to leverage the natural habit forming processes of the human brain to increase my output of prep before games. The great benefit is that I now prep more material and better quality material for my games than I did before. For my anxiety, this has helped me in at least two ways. Firstly, I feel less pressure and stress around GM prep, which helps me overcome the procrastination that arises from fear. And secondly, I enjoy the prep more and come up with more creative ideas, simply because I'm not locked into a cycle of anxiety. Not being anxious frees your brain up to be creative. I'd suggest that a third benefit is that I believe it's helping me shift away from some old, outdated beliefs about GMing, that I embraced in the past, and kind of come to terms with a much looser and more fluid approach. This is Season 11, Episode 11, Tiny Prep. (music) Let's start with the problem I had about three years ago, long before I began to experiment with Tiny Prep. Let's take a trip back in time to Series 1, Episode 8, entitled... The Curse of the Flaky GM. And let's hear what I had to say back in 2019. Now please remember, this was only the 8th episode I'd ever podcasted, so please forgive the quality. Anyone who has ever been a player in either my home Friday night games or my online fantasy ground sessions knows that I tend towards some serious flakiness. Over the years, it feels like I have cancelled more games than any other GM on the planet. So what stops me from running a game? Personally, I know that on a Friday or Saturday night, especially after a tough week at work, I can be left drained and feeling exhausted. Sometimes real life gets in the way. A family emergency arises or someone in my life needs me to do something at short notice. Other times, I'm feeling very low or actually ill. Most of the time, though, these reasons seem compelling at the point of decision when I need to decide whether to push on through and deliver a gaming session that night or whether to have another quiet night with a wife in front of the TV, or just go to bed early. The reality is that when I sit down and think about this problem, when I reflect on the decisions that I make, the real reason why I cancel the majority of gaming sessions is that I feel unprepared, or I feel like an imposter. Who am I to be running games for my friends? When I have the feeling of not being ready, it's easy to rationalise pretty much any barrier as an excuse to get out of doing the hard thing, prepare a session and deliver on it. The angry GM wrote some very interesting comments on this problem and he refers to it as GM burnout. Angry writes, Here's the reality. If you're feeling tired or run down and you cancel a game because of it, that's fine. It's only fair. But it makes it easier to cancel the next game. And the next one, and eventually you tell yourself you must be suffering GM burnout. So you put your game on hold and you figure you'll come back to it within a month or three or six. And nine months later, you're wondering what happened to your games. GM burnout is caused not by running games, it's caused by cancelling games. See, games feed themselves. Running games is hard. It does take effort. But the more you do it, the more you enjoy it, end quote. I'd go further than that. Every time you cancel the game, you also raise the chance that another player will jack it in and go do something else. In my experience, those players don't just stop attending your gaming table. Many of them will stop enjoying the role-playing hobby altogether. I have lost count of how many players I have driven away from the hobby over the years due to my own fundamental flakiness. And boy, does that make me feel guilty. And that's not even mentioning the butterfly head. Butterfly head is the phrase my wife coined to describe the creative me. In my job, I am very focused and organised. Colleagues comment on how amazingly organised I can be. It's a source of professional respect that I get things done. I can even be fairly creative as a teacher. In my hobby, however, I am crap. Like a butterfly, I drift from hobby project to hobby project, from idea to idea. Oh, that's a cool idea. Let's get excited about it and put in a day or two of serious hard effort to make that work. I'll even go as far as sharing my exciting idea with a group and try to persuade them to give it a go. If I'm lucky, I make it to the first session with the cool shiny idea ready to go. It's a fun session. And then I feel like, oh cool, that worked well. But I allow myself to notice something else that's new and shiny. And I go around the loop again. One of the side effects of this butterfly head thing is that I stop prepping the new and shiny game sessions because my time gets eaten up with a new idea. Correction. I divert my attention to a new and exciting idea and fail to follow through on the cool game I have already set up. My players sigh and smile politely as I try to move the game to the next shiny idea. If you combine general flakiness with a GM who can't settle on a game and commit to it for any length of time, you end up with me, the worst GM in the world. It takes a particularly dedicated player to stick around my gaming table. The Friday night table has just two players right now, and I just did it again. Remember I mentioned we were playing Savage Worlds and I had started an Actungthulu Cthulhu game? Well, it survived one session. The second session got killed due to a player dropping out, leaving me and just one other guy, so I cancelled because I didn't feel ready to run a one-on-one game. The mission would be too tough with just one hero, I reasoned. The third session I cancelled due to exhaustion, or rather, I was too tired to prep at the last minute, so I cancelled. I blithely ignore the fact that earlier in the week, when I did have some free time to prep, I allowed myself to go and read a different game's rulebook. New and shiny, shiny. Mm. The problem, ladies and gentlemen, is that I need to feel prepped. I need to get my act together. Since 2019, I've discovered two major things about my mental health. Firstly, I was prone to spiralling into anxiety caused by some as then undiagnosed, generalised and social anxiety disorders, for which I received treatment throughout 2020 and 2021. Secondly, the therapy has revealed a 70% likelihood that my butterfly head is in fact ADHD, a condition that I am presently working through diagnosis to confirm. I tell you this simply for context, but back then I believed I was defective, and somehow morally wrong because I couldn't get my prep in order nor hold a game for more than a handful of sessions. It turns out that there is some seriously useful psychology that has helped me adapt and grow, giving up this view of myself. Enter Tiny Habits, the book by B.J. Fogg. There are many books on habits out there and I've read many of them. So far, however, this one has been the most useful to me, although your mileage may vary tiny habits introduced me to the fog behavior model which predicts the likelihood that you'll take any given action from this i was introduced to behavior design as a concept and then on to the idea of tiny habits itself it was revolutionary for me coming as it did just around the time i was collapsing into debilitating anxiety and eventually seeking therapeutic help that said i've had to read the book twice and i'm keen to dip into it again to keep the ideas fresh it's really easy to forget the good stuff To get us started, let me explain how behaviour works by teaching you the FOG behaviour model. This will take about two minutes. Behaviour happens when three things come together at the same moment. Motivation, ability and a prompt. You can visualise this model in two dimensions. Imagine a vertical axis, that's the level of motivation for a behaviour and it can range anywhere from high to low. Along the horizontal axis is the ability to do a behaviour. It's also a continuum. On the right is high ability and I'll label that side as easy to do and on the left side of this axis are behaviours that are hard to do. Suppose you want someone to donate to the Red Cross. If they have high motivation and if it's easy for that person to do they will be high up in the upper right corner of the model. When a person here gets prompt to donate, they will do the donation behaviour. In contrast, if someone has low motivation to donate to the Red Cross, and if it's hard for them to do, they will be down in the lower left corner. When that person is prompted, they will not do the behaviour. There's a relationship between motivation and ability. There's a curved line called the action line, and it shows the relationship. It's a curving line from the top left down to the bottom right, just with a small gap between the two axes. It forms a kind of smiling curve. If you really want the diagram, there's a link in the show notes. The curved line is called the action line, and it shows that relationship between motivation and ability. If someone is anywhere above the action line when prompted, they will do the behaviour. In this case, they will donate to the Red Cross. However, if they are below the action line when prompted, then they won't do the behaviour. If someone is below the action line, we need to get them above it for the prompt to instigate the behaviour. Either we need an increase in motivation, or the behaviour needs to be easier to do, or both. This model applies to all types of human behaviour. So in summary, when motivation, ability and a prompt come together at the same moment, that's when a behaviour will occur. If any of the three elements is missing, the behaviour won't happen. Big thanks to BJ Fogg for page 279 of Time and Habits, which contains the script I used there to take you through the Fogg behaviour model, or at least more or less, in real life, you're supposed to draw it, but this is a podcast so I can't show you. Anyway, tiny habits works by focusing on the ability axis on that fog behavior model. Because motivation is so fickle, so variable, the suggestion is that we need to make new actions we want to take as small as possible so that we can get above the curve in the graph and actually take the action. For me... This actually began with trying to increase my exercise during the coronavirus pandemic first lockdown here in the UK in March to July 2020. I couldn't seem to get myself out of the door, so I used the advice in tiny habits to begin with simply putting on my running shoes. The tiny habit was that after I was up out of bed and I was sort of washed and ready to go I would put on my trainers and then walk to the door to wave my wife goodbye she works in the hospital and at the time was a key worker during the pandemic off out to work every day after a few days I found that I wanted to walk her around to the tram over time this developed into walking her around to the tram and then walking home via a slightly longer route eventually it evolved into a four kilometer walk and run I've now added a short stint of running into the beginning of the 4K walk just to boost my heart rate, and I've been doing it for about two years, weekdays, five days a week. And so we come to tiny prep. I realised that I needed to create some small prep habits, and I really had to wrestle with this one because I had many, many false starts. But as of today, I can report that I have a method which is fueling my Mr. Mere game with just enough prep to kickstart the last minute hour of prep which I then do on the Saturday before a session. In 2020, during the lockdown, I wanted to create a map for a mega dungeon for a completely different game, as it turned out, but I began by linking a tiny habit to the action of going to the coffee machine and making myself a cup of coffee. This was a two to four times a day habit that I already had in my life and which I have now reduced by one or two cups a day through some behavior design, but it was a great anchor for my new habit. The tiny habit was this. After I turn on the coffee machine, I will add one room or corridor to my Mega Dungeon map. The A3 pad of squared paper was placed on a shelf above the coffee machine, so I would grab the pad, the pencil and a ruler and I'd add one thing to the map. And then i put the stuff back on the shelf. It took less than two minutes, usually by the time the coffee had finished being made. In a week I had a sizable A3 sized level map and I started a new sheet on week two. It proved effective right up until the time I returned to school in July 2020 when the habit was broken by two factors. Fewer coffees at home and getting to the point where I had loads of MAP but no MAP keys and so I felt like I didn't need any more MAP, at least yet. Experimentation kind of fully went out the window in November 2020 when I went off work with mental illness and began therapy. Several attempts in 2021 failed as well. I couldn't find the anchor point in my day to build a prep habit. That being said, I did begin a new habit in September 2021 when I began to blog daily. After I'd finished evening prayer, I will boot up the computer and open the WordPress blog page. Notice that that habit wasn't to actually write anything. It was a tiny habit to sit down, boot the computer and open the WordPress blog page. Soon I was writing short articles daily, six days a week. This habit is still alive and kicking. As with all habits, I do miss the odd day, especially when something disrupts the regular habit that anchors this new habit. But most days, I write something. It doesn't have to be good, it just has to get written. But on the days when I don't write, most commonly, it's that I've done the basic habit. After i finished the evening prayer, I beat up the computer and I opened the WordPress blog page. This proved the key to unlocking the tiny prep habit. Firstly, the tiny habit was, after you've posted a blog post, add one thing to your game prep. Actually, that attempt failed. The reason was that at the end of the day at work and a mentally demanding job, I did not have the mental energy to make decisions about what to prep. And so I invented the daily game prep random table. So, the daily game prep random table is a 1d6 table, much like we use in our gaming. There are six entries and you roll 1d6 to select an entry. The new habit is, after you've posted a blog post, roll 1d6 on the daily game prep table. Again, notice the habit began with just making the die roll. I'd look at the result and be free of the decision. The table has six entries. A 1 is write a clue. A two is add one room to a dungeon map. A three is add something to an NPC profile. A four is add something to an item design. A five is write down a consequence from last session. And six is add a person, place, or anything to the world. This last one is simply to name a person, a place, or something new in the world. And sometimes I throw it on the map. You flesh them out with a roll of a 2, 3 or 4 on the table though, so, you know, don't think that you have to do more than name the thing. Anyway, this freed up my prep. At first I found it was slightly too hard to think of anything, but rolling the die was fun, it did actually make me smile, and I would celebrate making the roll and my mind would start churning thoughts, largely subconsciously. After maybe a week or so, I rolled a 1 for a clue and found I could write down Well, any clue, really. I didn't know what the clue was for at the time, but it did sound fun. You find a single bloody footprint on the stairs. Just one footprint. I also realised that I could roll the die, but if I didn't like the result, it was okay to choose something else. This began to happen when I started a dungeon map. The next day, I'd be drawn to add to the map, so I would just do that instead of rolling the die. But it's okay if that doesn't happen too. I just roll the die, and that's the tiny habit. I don't manage that every day. When I forget to roll the die, the habit weakens a little. So disruptions to getting to pray lead to not getting to blog and in turn lead to not rolling the tiny prep die. But more often, I'm simply so tired that I can't even face rolling the die. So I have modified the tiny habit more recently to make it even smaller. After you've posted a blog post, look at the daily game prep table. It's on a 3x5 index card. It's handwritten on my computer desk. This is enough some nights. I look at the table. Most of the time, this gets me to roll the die, which is right next to the piece of paper, by the way, and four out of six times, I'll probably add something to my prep. I'm still working on strengthening the habit, but my last session of Mistamere only happened because I had drawn and partially keyed a dungeon map idea over the week before the game, and I was able to finish the key in about an hour and use it in a game. As I record this, the guys are still exploring that dungeon, so it's probably two to four sessions worth of material. You can see that Tiny Prep is making a big difference to me. How can you apply this approach? Well, Tiny Prep is a 10-second Tiny Habit. Find a suitable anchor habit that you already have that places you wherever you would need to be to do some prep. Being at my computer works for me because I also keep my bullet journal on that desk while I'm at home. And thus I blog and then can either type up a note in the computer or handwrite or hand draw something in my notebook. After you do X action, then roll 1d6 on the daily game prep table. Well that's the original habit. Make it as tiny as you need it to be. Sometimes it's okay to just look at the table and elicit an emotional response. Usually I smile. But the genius of the 1d6 table is that it takes away the decision point. We only have so much cognitive energy and so decisions are actually too hard. I spoke about this a bit last episode. Remove the decision point by rolling on a random table. That's the real power of random tables in my experience. They remove the requirement to think again about something you already thought about. Roll and, if you can, do the thing. Tiny prep takes me between two and five minutes daily. Usually it's about two minutes. Sometimes it's less. Never longer than five minutes because I'm basically too tired. But two minutes daily, six days a week, is 12 minutes. It's amazing what you get done in 12 minutes a week. I add an hour fortnightly when I sit down to prep the session and I have 1 hour and 24 minutes of prep done in that fortnight. But the hard work, the decision making, all about what stuff I added this time around, that was done during Tiny Prep and subconsciously in between. GM Prep Time is now all about fleshing out details, grabbing stat blocks and tidying up the outline ready to play. And that's my experience of Tiny Prep. I hope you'll consider giving it a go. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time. As you know, I love to hear from you. If you've got a question or comment, then please hop over to speakpipe.com roleplayrescue where you can leave a 90-second message. Alternatively, you can hop over to the blog at roleplayrescue.com and press the button on the top right. It takes you straight there. As ever, the links are in the show notes. Today I have messages from Brian, Jason and Weeb about some past episodes. I'll just play them and then say a big thank you up front for their thoughts. Thank you guys.
1: Hey, it's Brian calling in during my afternoon walk with the little puppy. The cool, not really cold, cool I'd say, uh, winter afternoon that we're having here where it's still probably about 20 degrees in the Queensland Uh, Hopefully your heat wave is breaking, but wanted to give some feedback and comments on episode five, the discussion with Minion. So I don't remember if I bought these after or before your episode aired, but the I guess it's not really a resurgence, but a lot of the uh, podcasts I've consumed and a lot of the discussion lately have gone back to AD&D first edition. And somehow, I think it triggered in me. And obviously, playing in in your game, which uh, we won't talk about the uh, the rule set since we obviously don't know them. But it it kind of rekindled a curiosity, and I ended up getting some of the uh, print on demand books, the three core books from first edition when they're on sale here, the Christmas in July, and. Partially just because, one, I had started playing in some games, uh, a play-by-post game. And I got very curious, I guess, to see in a way what I remembered, what I missed. And to be fair, only ever had the player's handbook. I never had the Monster Manual or Dungeon Master's manual on my own. So in a way, it was completing the set, although they're reprints. But the other thing was, I think I finally came to terms with, and this is where your episode helped, so I don't know that it influenced my buying, but definitely influenced the way that I view first edition. In talking with Minion, the sense I got, and these are my words, was that the first edition, while it may not end up being, at least in terms of rules as written, the best rule set to play, but it sort of evokes that that mix of both nostalgia. And I think for me, the this, the idea that the rules were codified and they're very detailed in places, but it's also explicit in its instructions that these rules are obviously subject to, I guess, the group, but mainly the the dungeon master who runs it for the group, and then they carry on as needed. And in some ways, comparing that to even fifth edition it's really interesting to take a look at those see the evolution of in this case just Dungeons and Dragons but I guess for a broader sense in in thinking back as I read read the player's handbook I I get a sense of the parts that kind of captivated my imagination and a lot of it was also because this was really the first big role-playing game that I got into and you know, really before AD&D, it was only with the Mold Bay Basic Set. So while a lot of those sections are not necessarily, maybe I don't want to say the best written, but as time had played out, obviously mechanics have gotten better in some ways. There's better ways to handle things, but I think it was just the first time that it took what I was learning to be a role game, role-playing game, excuse me, and expanded it. If that makes any sense. So, as we're getting deeper into the park here with the pup, I'm not sure how much of this is actually making sense, but uh, a lot of these things just came together uh, in listening to that episode. And it's funny because, although I would, I would definitely play in first edition games, uh, I, would, I, I would be willing to go along with a DM who is modifying the rules, to try to get through some of those parts that seem a little bit onerous or at least draining, since they're still very heavily 1970s war game inspired. Uh, but at the same token, you know, I, I would also just enjoy running it just to kind of see or maybe introduce some newer players to, to what it was like. Um, and I think in particular, and this is something that I, if, if I actually get back to recording podcasts about, Something that I've been thinking about that's been prompted by, by BJ is just, I think, the mentality um, of how the older modules and adventures were written as compared to a lot of the newer adventures. Definitely the ones for fifth edition, but it almost comes down to maybe the author or the publisher. So to me, it kind of makes sense to say, take some of those either basic or expert or ad modules that I liked in fact, some of which I've been rerunning modified for fifth edition and actually run them in A D and D. Not necessarily to use all the rules, but just to kind of see how those pieces go together now as opposed to, you know, years and years ago when we all stumbled our ways through it. So yeah, it's 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 just interesting. And uh getting off tangents here. So hope you're doing well. Again, hope the heat is breaking and I'll talk soon. Hey, Hey, this is Jason, just finished Early Access to 1108, your mystery scenario episode with Justin Alexander. Sorry, I'm tired. It's late at night, headed home. Anyway, great episode, great talk, some real great practical knowledge, and I'm saying great a lot, some, some real practical knowledge in there that people can actually use at the table which is in a lot of your shows, don't get me wrong, but I mean, you, Justin broke down how to do it, explained how to do it, and gave examples how to do it. Great stuff. Really enjoyed it. Hey, Jay, Weeb here. Uh, just finished listening to your early access with Bob Lofton uh, for the um, Traveler uh, episode. A fantastic interview. Uh, such a great story um and you know just how to to like run a game and uh you know the advantages to to running a traveler style type game so great interview look forward to more like that take it easy and have a great day game on buddy
0: Here's another one in the can. I hope that today's show has been useful. Big thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us again next time. Thanks to Brian from I'll Have to Look That Up, Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast, and to Weeb for the call-ins today. Please keep the comments coming. Thanks to the Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through patreon.com slash rpgrescue. Welcome to the two or three new ones in the last few weeks. And thanks also to John from Tale of the Manticore for the show music. That is it for now. My name is Che Webster. This is Roleplay Rescue. I hope you're well, and I'll see you next time. Game on.